Do you own firearms? Did you know there's an easy way for you to let everyone around you quickly see whether your firearm is loaded or unloaded? Well, meet muzzlestick, barrel, and chamber flags. Muzzlestick, chamber, and barrel flags offer a quick way for anyone, whether they handle firearms or not, to quickly see the loaded or unloaded status of a firearm. And that could save lives. Are you one of the nearly 80% of firearms owners that keep a loaded gun out of the safe for personal protection, taking an extra safety precaution by using muzzle sticks, big, bright barrel and chamber flags will let everyone around your firearm know if it is loaded or unloaded. Muzzle stick does not recommend keeping a loaded firearm outside of a gun safe, but the reality is that some firearm owners do. Clearly marking a gun status communicates to others around that may or may not have firearm handling experience that it is something that they would not want to handle. Muzzle stick is not intended to replace the rules of firearm safety. However, their chamber and barrel flags give firearms rapid and clear identification, which could result in saved lives. It's time for you to do everything you can to be a safe and responsible firearms owners. Head over to muzzlestick.com. That's M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K.com today to place your order. After all, we all only have but one life. <laughs> Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host, and the star and the namesake is Victor Davis Hanson. And he is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. He has an official home on the internet. It's called the Blade of Perseus, and you'll find its web address at Victor Hansen. Dot com. You should be going there, going there frequently, even subscribing, and I'll tell you about that later. It's been a busy week, a ton of stuff happening. Some of that uh, Victor has already discussed on a previous podcast or two with the great Sammy Wink, but today we'll be talking about lots of things, including the Battle of the Bulge, not the military action, but the swimsuit battle of the Bulge. We'll get to that, Victor, right after these important messages. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
we're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. So, hey, Victor, you remember Mae West? Yes. Um, and I, <laughs> why don't you come up and see me sometime? That that Mae West, yes. Who also asked, um, is that a gun in your pocket? Are you just happy to see me? How did she get away she with that? Uh, it was even after the code. I don't know how she did it. By the way, she said that to Cary Grant in a, in a movie. Like uh, she, surely, she surely did. She but, surely uh, didn't say it. I know she didn't say it to W.C. Fields. His nose was bigger than his blank. Okay. <laughs> Nevertheless, let's go on. That was a bad joke. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, we'll, we'll, let's talk about W.C. Fields some other day because he was a terrific entertainer. Anyway, yeah. I'm going to twist her line and say, is that a gun in your bikini? Are you just happy to see me? So, Victor, we know this week the ongoing madness of the trans issue and corporations putting out front uh, uh, faux women, also called men. Um, and, and the latest in the thing incident is a um, Adidas uh, pu- uh, uh, promoting a new women's swimwear line. And who's promoting it? A dude. So let me just read this, Victor. From the Daily Mail's headline, the first few articles, the first few uh, uh, lines in the in the article, and get you uh, to comment on it. So here's the headline: Stop gaslighting women. Ex-Olympic swimmer Sharon Davies slams Adidas for an assault on being female after it used biologically male model with hairy chest and bulging crotch for its women's swimwear swimwear line in Pride collection. So here's the. First few sentences, Adidas is facing a boycott after it used a biologically male model with a hairy chest and a bulging crotch to promote a woman's swimsuit in its Pride 2023 collection. The sportswear brand has provoked fury for its mockery of women over the advert for the, has here 50 pounds, Daily Mail is a British publication, uh, which forms part of its campaign to, quote, uphold inclusive values, uh, end quote, South African designer, Rich Minissi is behind the recycled polyester outfit, which Adidas said was a, quote, celebration of self-expression, imagination, and the unwavering belief that love unites, the collaboration explores fluidity, color, and pattern, end quote, and idiocy. Victor, or madness afoot on, in our culture, your thoughts, my friend. I want to be very careful here because... Uh... I, I want to be very clear. There's three things that I could say about all this, about the whole transgendered phenomenon in general. I've, I've written about it and suggested that we all remember that around the millennium, statistical studies showed traditionally, it wasn't new in the millennium at 2000, that 10 to 30 people per 100,000 identified as transgendered. And then by t- 2017, that number had gone up to 250 per 100,000. And then now, and depending on the age cohort, it's 5,000. I don't think people have changed biologically. I don't think the increased uh, re- the, the increased tolerance, so to speak, to use a word of the left, had allowed people to come out of the woodwork. I think it was a mass movement that has elements of hysteria and faddishness to it. And it's a very dangerous movement in some cases as it pertains to people under 18 because they're using types of drugs 
and types of surgical procedures that the left, not me, the left, has traditionally said was the work of the AMA, big pharma, big medicine. In other words, that they're not properly tested, examined, and analyzed for their effects years down the road. And yet this is the left that's telling a 14-year-old girl or boy, you can have these sexual organs change. We can inject you with very, very dangerous hormones, and it's okay because it's transgenderism, as if that gives you an exemption. That's number one. Number two, this is not about transgenderism. This is about males transitioning to females. What I mean by that, Jack, is we're not getting a lot of women all of a sudden who remove their breast and have uh, artificial phalloi put on them that are in weightlifting magazines, right, or male models. I don't see any. Do you? It seems to be almost entirely an appropriation or an expropriation of males into the female domain, males who use their biological right. muscular skeletal system to warp female sports and now to transition into the domain of female uh, fashion, female sexuality, female show uh, drag, whatever it is. And it's not, it's not symmetrical. Males are not, Males who want to be women are not doing that, or they can't do it for some reason. So let's be clear about that. It's a warping or a manipulation of femininity by males who are not satisfied with their own domain, but now want to expropriate sports, fashion, glamour from females. And females are starting for the first time to say no moss. In other words, as you saw with that, uh, bicycle uh, race where the winner was a biological male and the women refused to go up to the the winner's stand because they weren't going to sanction that. And I think if w women did that more often, it would it would cease. And third and finally, we in 2023 feel that we've discovered the wheel, that we've discovered transgenderism. You can go back and look at Havelock Ellis, a British sexologist who wrote right before the World War I and talked about all of this. You can go back to antiquity and read Petronius Satyricon and Little Encolpius and Gaiton and Asclitos. You can go read Apuleius's Golden Ash. You can go read Catullus's Atus poem. You can go read uh anecdotes from Athenaeus. And what do you find from the corpus of, say, classical literature, aside from modern sexiology before World War II? You find that whether that this is a, I don't want to use deviant, but it is a very, very small minority of the population. And as I said, prior to 2000 or right at 2000, it was 10 to 20 to 30 people per 100,000. So in a city uh, like Fresno, 500,000, you would find 50 people. Okay. The second thing about this phenomenon in antiquity was when it became mainstream, as it is now, I'm not talking about truly transsexuals or truly people suffering from gender dysphoria, which is a medically recognized symptom, symptomology, that people actually have 
a wrong sexual or a sexual identity and the opposite sex body. That's very rare, but it does occur. But that is completely different than these other manifestations of transgenderism. One is transvestism from the Latin word vestus, that people who are heterosexual, men especially, get sexual gratification and sexual stimulation from wearing women's clothes to have sex with women. So that's one manifestation we don't even talk about. But this transgenderism, when it evolves from a small portion of the population to be mainstream as it appears in classical literature, guess what? Not me, not Victor. It's considered by Tacitus and Petronius and contemporary Suetonius as a sign of civilizational decline. It's associated with infertility, the lack of child rearing, and the abundance of leisure and affluence by which it must have to be manifested to such a wide degree. And it's always considered uh, abnormal. So when you read about Addis who castrates himself and suddenly in the middle of that poem, the gender nouns change, he sits at the end of the poem regretting what he's done after this hysteria wears off. If you look at Petronius and you look at the Cana Tromalchionis and you see these characters that are wearing makeup and they're wearing dresses and they're wearing wigs, it's not considered something that embodies the virtues that made the Roman Republic what it was. And so it's it, it, that's, that's important to, to see because we are fiddling why America burns. So we are doing this and we're spending a lot of our collective time, capital, energy, attention in detours like this while the Chinese are aggrandizing the economy, the global economy, the Belt and Road Initiative, their increased uh, defense budget, but why our Pentagon allows, you know, drag shows on bases or really highlights its transgendered commercial or uses somebody in drag to, right. to uh, you know, see if they can enlist people. Did you did you see Victor Blinken saying something in the yeah, last day I or did. two about I some did. State Department? Oh, uh, pronouns. And if anyone needs psychiatric counseling over this, we, we will. I mean, I can't believe this no, is it's, the, it would, you know, I, the head I, of it, our foreign policy. It, it's a passive assessing. aggressive. It's passive aggressive. What I can't not understand is when I look at these demonstrations and they had one was it at the Nebraska legislature or where where, where they stormed in transgendered people or when we had certain violent acts of transgendered protests and at the same time they they have to seek the protection of uh they act as if they're victims and I'm I'm hurt by a pronoun it's it's very similar to the Antifa the BLM and the student movement like the students who, and that was that was caused initially. If you go back and have an autopsy of the Stanford disruption at the law school of Judge Duncan, the initial spark that set off that combustion was an, his what his refusal to use a person who demanded a person's pronouns that this person who said he was transgender demanded from the judge, and that set it off. But my point is. When they were so rude and so disruptive and so vile and said, you know, rape your daughter, all of that stuff. And then the moment there was a video released and there was just a suggestion 
that maybe their identities would be revealed, the perpetrators of that embarrassment. They had they had a fainting spell, hysteria. Oh, my God, that's just so unfair. And, it, and it's the same thing about these students when they yell and scream and disrupt speakers. And then they have cookies and brownies and and furry dolls and animals to pet when t- Trump wins the election. So what is it? Are you either militants out the barricade and you're going to be tough people in your war for progressive values? Or are you schizophrenic and you want to insult and be, use obscenity and disrupt? But the moment anybody calls you to attention, you don't say, fine, I did that. I'm proud. Do your worst and I'll do my best. No, it's, oh, my God, I'm a victim. How dare you? I can't believe this is happening to me. And that's what gets people very, very upset about the transgendered movement, that it is passive, aggressive, schizophrenic. And, you know, I can tell you that it has consequences. So when you put so much attention on this one issue and you mainstream it in the Pentagon and you have pride, there is a connection between a government that has pride flags on the embassy in Kabul and gender studies programs at $100 million, $700 million in aggregate over 20 years. And then you have George Floyd, and then you skedaddle out in the greatest humiliation in a half century. There is a cause and effect that your priorities and your values and your emphases are in the wrong place. And that trickles down to the man in the field. And when you when you get up before Congress under oath, like Secretary Austin did and General Milley did, and you start talking about white rage, white supremacy, white privilege, and what you're going to do about it and how you're going to go through the ranks. And then in addition, you start putting people in drag saying, join the Navy, or you talk about individual base commanders thinking they want promotions, start to freelance and allow that drag show on base. Then guess what happens? The Army is short one whole division. The Air Force is short. And then all the people you revile, all the people that you hate, all the people who you say are insensitive and illiberal. And I'm talking about usually a lower middle class white male from rural districts or south of the Mason-Dixon line. Then you turn around and you say, you are what we depend on because you're going to die at twice your numbers in the demographic and god awful places in Hellman. Uh, province or up at Taji or somewhere at Fallujah. That's who we expect to go out there and do it. Now, we don't like you, and we think that you, you're you culpable without any evidence. But when it comes to dying in the military, you're going to die at twice your rate and the demographic. And then when you say that, and I've said that and written it, this is what you get from the military. I can't believe you're doing that. That's one of the worst things I can see. You would actually take a demographic or a percentage and you talk about dead. We're all in this together. How dare you talk about the race and the gender of the people who dead? This is from people who eat, breathe, and sleep race, gender, race, gender. And they right. have all they do is talk about when they come up for promotion. I had this many women in my air wing. I had this many blacks. I had this many Latinos. I had this many gay people under my command and then and then when anybody says well okay does that extend to the dead are we going to be equal opportunity and then they they get outraged just like in this passive aggressive fashion so and the final comment and i'll stop is that it's reached the limits 
of its popularity. And when you start insulting people and ridiculing them, and you have people that show up at Judge Kavanaugh's house that is a potential assassin, and you hide the fact that he's transitioning, or you have a shooter who has a manifesto that apparently has a long rant about how the people, the victims, for some particular ideological reason, deserve what they got, and you suppress it, or you've got this, I don't know what we would call Mr. Uh, Energy Secretary, uh, Undersecretary of Energy, Sam Binkman, is that his name? And when he's caught yet again, he's he's caught stealing fashions, one from an accomplished African designer, steals the design, wears it, and he gets nothing as far as punishment. And then that encourages him. He does it again. When you have these types of stories, then people, they're saying, well, you know what? You criticize us as a collective. You criticize traditional America. You criticize conservative America. You criticize red state America. You criticize the deplorables. You don't count us as individuals. You don't count us as distinct personalities. You damn us as a collective that you do not like. And so then when your collective is in the news in a very negative fashion, whether it's expropriating women's sports or women's fashion in a very sexist fashion, or engaged in violent acts of storming a legislature, or running out a federal judge from a, then are we going to do that too? Are we going to say, well, just as you think that uh, traditional America can be summarized as a collective, maybe we can summarize this, this type of behavior from the transgender community. Do you really want that? Because that's where we're going. And yeah. so- that and and that's where we're going because we're short thousands of recruits in the military and these are not just recruits these are people that the military by their own criteria allowed to be overrepresented and they'd say they're not going to do that they say they're going to Martin Milley said under oath that his military looks like America proportional representation so he allowed people in combat units to be heavily overrepresented in one demographic when he knew that was the most dangerous uh, profile in the entire military. He didn't say a word. All, all he could say about that profile was criticism. And so that that's that's not sustainable, Jack. It's not sustainable. Yeah. And people are going well, to say, so, you know, so I've you, had it. Yeah, and 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 I think uh, energizing the I've had it. You mentioned a trickle down and sports, and here's um, um, a, a story: the, the Los Angeles Dodgers every year they have LGBTQ etc. They have a Pride Night. So I'm just going to read uh, this very quickly, Victor. This is from uh, the Dodgers' tw Twitter account. Uh, this year, as part of a full night of programming, we invited a number of groups to join us. Full night. I think the whole freaking baseball game is going to be Pride Night. It's crazy. We're now aware that our inclusion of one group in particular, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, in this year's Pride Night has been the source of some controversy. Given the strong feelings of people who have been offended by the Sisters' inclusion in our evening and in an effort not to distract from the great benefits that we have seen over the years of Pride Night, we're deciding to remove them from this year's group of honorees. Victor, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence is this gross I've seen uh, drag group that mocks Roman Catholic 
nuns nuns and and once upon a time the dodgers were owned by walter o'malley and he had nuns day where nuns would come for free to the baseball game and now this same freaking and why why would the dodgers why would why because they, they rub people's face in this because, stuff for, for two reasons for three reasons they put their finger to the wind and they say where does the pressure come from doesn't come from Christian America. It comes from a very small, whiny activist that calls us names. So we're going to bend to them, number one. And number two, once we do it, we're going to be among the corporate in crowd. We're going to be up there with Disney. We're going to be up there with Bud. This is what the cult, corporate culture does, and we want to be a part of it. And there's And then number three, we have nothing but contempt for religion. We don't care. And the the subtext of this is why did they back down? Do you really believe they had you invite this special commemoration of these so-called sisters and you don't do any research? They knew exactly what they were. They knew exactly their history. They That's what corporations do. Yeah. And they just assumed that nobody would say anything and they could get away with it. that. Los Angeles has outside of Mexico City, it's the largest number of Mexican American and Mexican nationals in the in the world, and you know four four and a half million in one city, and many of them, if not most, are still traditional Catholics, and many of them are loyal baseball fans, especially because there's a lot of uh, Latino baseball players, and so I think what's happening right. there, they're thinking, do we really want to offend this constituency that is very devoutly Catholic by having a, an elite group? of activists that deliberately try to punch the buttons of one of our most loyal fan bases. So, and that should be instructive to everybody. This is not going to stop until you say to the left, we don't like your methodologies, just like we don't like ballot harvesting, ballot curing, 70% of people not showing up on, and we have pleaded with you to stop and you won't. So we're going to have to employ your methodologies to make you stop. So we're going to vote harvest. We're going to vote cure. We're going to do exactly what you do until you get this madness out of your system. And we're going to do the same thing with the boycott and the ostracism and the embargoing and all that. So we're not going to go to any more Los Angeles Dodgers games. We're not going to buy any more Bud beer. We're not going to go to Disney anymore until you stop it. And you should. we're not asking you to be discriminatory we're not asking you to you know hijack you you have to do something for us we're just asking you to put ideological polarizing politics out of the commercial workspace and if you don't you're going to end up like the oscar awards or the tony awards a subsidized little event for a small group of incestuous grandees yeah. but of no popular appeal or you're going to go from 30 million people watching the 1998 finals at the NBA to bragging that you have 4 million now. And you're going to call that success when it's failure. And your only success is that you're hawking your merchandise in China for four or $5 billion a year, but it's not coming from American mass support yeah. for the NBA. Well, Victor, we have to uh, move on to another subject or two, but I just would like to say uh, as a Catholic guy who loves nuns, uh, this really uh, is a kind of an equivalent of, of blackface to mock 
people in this way, it would it's it's intolerable. And um, I, I you know I don't laud the Dodgers for backing down; they just chicken pooped out of it. Uh, but their intention was was uh, was to allow it. Um, the other thing I'd like to to recommend on this broad topic, you know, Megan Kelly and her podcast, which is just terrific in general, and Victor, you're on it. Uh, frequently, uh, she, uh, she uh, broadcast this week with Carrie Prejean Bowler and, and others from this uh, group, The Battle Cry. It's episode 553. I really recommend people listen to it to get a, a real understanding, not only of of some of the more uh, outrageous um, incidents and 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 efforts by the ideological ideological left, but also by about the pushback. And it's um, I think it's, it was really interesting stuff. And Megan is all over this topic. She's 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 really good. Victor, um, I think we'll go to a break, and when we come back from that, we're going to get your views on the whistleblower hearings that happened yes. earlier this week. So let's do that right after these important messages. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I want our listeners, especially especially new listeners, to visit the Blade of Perseus. That's Victor's official website. Go to Victor Hanson, S-O-N, victorhanson.com. When you go there, you will find the links to all of Victor's books, all the articles he writes for American Greatness, his syndicated columns, his appearances, such as on you know the Megyn Kelly podcast or uh, radio shows that uh, Victor goes on. And then you will also see links to articles with a little ultra label on them. You'll click on it and you won't be able to read it. Why? Because they are, ex- Victor writes them exclusively for the website, but uh, they require a subscription. So it's $5 to get in the door and uh, $50 for the year to subscribe to the website. And the there is an equivalent of two books, I, I judge, of Victor's original content that you will only be able to read there. So if you're a fan of Victor's writing, you really should be subscribing. Again, that's victorhanson.com. So Victor, um, yeah, on I I believe it was Monday. Um, I I should be able to do the math. Maybe that was the fifteenth. Not sure. Of May, uh, Jim Jordan and his committee held hearings with the with four FBI whistleblowers, 
and there was the usual uh, uh, chaos. There was some media attention from the left that only seemed to be to attack the whistleblowers. I thought they were sacrosanct uh, once upon a time. Anyway, Victor, I'm sure you saw part of the hearings and you have some analysis or uh, observations you'd like to share. You know, what's really weird was there was one witness uh, who happened African-American fellow FBI agent who has a name, who shared a name with, remember the great Marcus Allen from USC? And, right. And, and he didn't, Marcus Allen, the celebrity, the football player, had retweeted something that could be interpreted as, I guess, sympathizing with the protesters on January 6th and represented, was it Garza, her name is, or I can't remember what her name is, but she's one of our California Latino representatives, and she fixed fixated on this uh, whistleblower. And when he made it clear that that was not his account, he just happened to share the same name. It's kind of like the poet Senna who was executed in Shakespeare. And, it, and that goes back to antiquity. It was a true story because he happened to share the same name as one of the Caesarian uh, tyrannicides. He just happened to have the same name. And he kept telling her it's not it's not me. And she just interrupted. It's my time. It's my time. And then she wanted to know, well, it doesn't really matter if it was you. <laughs> You'd ask anybody off the street, you agree or not right. agree. It's none of her business. Right. And uh, what he happens to think personally. And then he said he didn't agree. But that was the type of harassment. What was just dumbfounded, just startling was that we have now gone 360 degrees from canonizing Eric Ciramella, 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 and Lieutenant Colonel Representative Nunez, it's Lieutenant Colonel Vinman. Remember that? Uh, Mr. Vinman, yes, right. on the phone call. And we were idolizing the whistleblower. We were idolizing the so-called anonymous, an important senior Trump administration. No, he wasn't. He was a nobody in the Homeland Security who kept writing these uh, op-eds about how he was deliberately undermining and disrupting the executive branch as an act of revolutionary resistance to the popular claim. But he was a sort of whistleblower. You couldn't even mention the idea of whistleblower without they were sanctified. You couldn't. And now all these same people, all they did was try to destroy these people's lives. And they did via the FBI. And it was really shocking to see uh, what all of this. And I thought to myself, wow, what is it's a larger question of what do you do with the FBI? Because we all we've had this conversation before, but we all grew up with the idea that the FBI traditionally drew its – it was always under attack for its – you know, every once in a while it was under attack for its excesses of the age, especially in the J. Edward Hoover period. But we all supported it because we thought on on average its advantages outweighed its disadvantages of having a national investigatory body. But it's – And that the actual agents were noble. I mean, yes. I felt that way, right? And so – as I was watching, I said to my, you know, I was thinking of all these people there. And I thought, the last four directors, Mueller basically lied when he said he didn't know what Fusion GPS was or the Steele dossier. Comey lied when he claimed amnesia 245 times under oath. McCabe admitted to lying four times, three under oath. And 
Ray basically just stonewalls. And I thought, and then I looked, I was thinking as I was listening to this about the whole sordid history of the FBI since what, 2015, when they started to become politicized. So what will they not do? Will they forge documents that they submit to a court? Yes, check, they'll do that. Will they offer $1 million to a foreign national who illegally is involved in a political campaign to hire him to accumulate dirt as they did with Chris? Yes, they will do that. Will they swipe clean subpoenaed cell phones from FBI personnel as happened during the Mueller? Yes, they'll do that. Will uh, they promise in private textual communications uh, referencing McCabe, Strzok, and uh, Page that there's no way that Donald Trump, a presidential candidate, will win the election. They'll stop it. Yes, they'll do that. Will the FBI go in and infiltrate Latin mass Catholic church services, or for that matter, Jack, school board meetings in Virginia, to monitor church, the devout, and parents to see if any of the the ideas that they espouse is contrary to what progressivism thinks is suitable. Yes, they'll do that. Will they dress up as SWAT teams in in performance art fashion, swoop into private homes to arrest suspects, many of them for low-level felonies or maybe even misdemeanors as Roger Stone or the protester uh, at a at an abortion clinic where they showed up at the man's home. Who, who or, offered to come in. Who offered to come in. Will they go to Silicon Valley and will they say to a company like Twitter, and I wouldn't mention Facebook, but we don't have the information that they've suppressed it, and say, here's $3 million and we want these news stories suppressed and we want you to be a contract. Will they do that? Yes, they will. Will they take a laptop that they know is authentic and they know it is in the public domain and its contents will affect an election. Will they suppress it? And when during their suppression, will they allow the CIA former officials or former intelligence officials to lie and say that this is Russian disinformation? Yes, they'll do that. And will they go after whistleblowers? Yes, they'll do that. Will they pay Christopher Steele $1 million? dollars, Jack, to find one statement in that fallacious file that was true. And when they could not find one thing to give him $1 million, they'll still use that file and pass it off to a judge as if it is a valid document. Will they pay Mr. Dushenko $300,000 to lie and say that he has information that corroborates the Steele dossier or he's the source of it when he's not even in Russia anymore. He's getting it from a Clinton operative, Mr. Dolan. They'll do that. So that question finally is, what will they not do? What will they not do? I tell you what they won't do, Victor. They won't investigate Hillary Clinton either. You saw that, right? They won't. That was what Mr. McCabe lied on four occasions because he was leaking, 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 leaking that to the Wall Street Journal and other, oh, no, we were still investigating it when he wasn't. And then when he was caught and said, "Who? we're going to find out who's leaking that. Well, he was leaking it deliberately. And the, the inspector general said, you know, he really brought him to cast. That's my biggest criticism of Bill Barr, by the way. 
I don't want to get into whether he was good or bad, pro-Trump or anti-Trump, but he had under his jurisdiction the interim head of the FBI who had lied three times of the four times under oath to a federal investigator. And he is the attorney general of the United States. And how he let Andrew McCabe go away without any consequences will be, I think, a mark against him for the rest of his life. How can you do that? The FBI director, more than any other American, has to tell the truth. And when he lies under oath to a federal investigator, you destroy the whole corpus of jurisprudence. And and Bill Barr did that. And I don't know why he did it. I guess he thought that he didn't want to retaliate or something. But but that is what we're dealing now with the FBI. And we know now, we know that when you say Russian collusion, it's not a myth. There was Russian collusion, and it happened with Hillary Clinton paying money to the DNC, who paid it to the Perkins Coie law firm, who paid it to Fusion GPS, who paid it to Christopher Steele to revive a dossier that he had been peddling to some conservative, not conservative, never Trump alternatives to Trump, a stale old bunch of lies to reactivate it and then to peddle it, peddle it through his contacts and the FBI contacts and the State Department contacts, Bruce Orr, Nellie Orr, all of that throughout the government and to leak it to the press before the election with the intent purpose, express purpose to damage a presidential candidate. And then on top of all that, once it was known, they continued, continued to do it to go after Michael Flynn after the election. And they continued to leak and lie so that they got Robert Mueller. And that was the Comey release of a confidential document that he had memorialized as a conversation with Donald Trump. They continued to do that. And during this whole process, Hillary Clinton, who knew all of this because she was the perpetrator of it, kept saying that, A, the election was illegitimate. That was her words. Donald Trump was not a legitimate president that she was a member of La Resistance. Remember that? She bragged about that. And then she kept saying that Donald Trump had stole the election. Why they haven't gone after her, I don't know. It's. I always thought it was a felony to hire a foreign national to participate in a U.S. election. She did. No, without any. She. I always thought it was a felony to communicate if you were a high government official on a private sewer. She did. I thought it was a felony to destroy devices that and material that were under federal subpoena because I think that's what the special prosecutor is going to do to Donald Trump. He's going to say, "Well, he he doctored some of the videos, or he didn't give us what we subpoenaed quickly enough." That's exactly right. what Hillary Clinton did. So this asymmetry of the application of the laws, and you can really see it in this country now. If you are of a particular race or ideology, the federal bureaucracy and the state and local, even to some degree, will massage or warp the law in a a very asymmetrical fashion. Whether it's the, you can be January 6th protester versus 120 days of riot, looting, arson, killing $2 billion in damage, and they're not going to do anything to you. You can say that they took over the Capitol, but if you go down and try to burn a federal courthouse or police precinct with people in it, or they didn't, you have to put 
You have to get them out of the Capitol, make sure they never come back. So you put Bob Wire and 20,000 federal soldiers, but you can turn over downtown Seattle to a bunch of thugs with the automatic weapons or a BLM sacrosanct spot right in downtown Washington. No problem. That asymmetry really bothers people. It really does because that's that goes to the whole heart of blind justice. And it's yeah, just, and Victor, the the hardball they play with their own age with these whistleblowers, like that one guy, um, O'Boyle, who they forced him to move across country, which is always a tactic to punish people, you know, agents or you know other areas of the federal government. If you're pissed off at somebody, we'll move you from Kentucky to New York City or to Washington to to kind of break you financially. And they moved him because he was complaining. And then he gets to Washington and he was suspended without pay. Yeah. His, and and then you saw, you saw I mean, talk about you, hardball. How about these uh, very liberal men of the men and women of the people? And what did they focus on? They focused on a black FBI agent much more than they did any of the others and tried to humiliate him for doing nothing wrong. And then they, and then Mr. Goldman, right. as that was his name, was the representative. Is he from Massachusetts? Was the heir to the Levi Strauss fortune, a child of privilege? Then he attacks Julio Rosas, the town hall columnist and person who spent a lot of dangerous hours on the border, and he starts mocking him on immigration, uh, and because he's a because of his title, title. He says well, you don't have an FBI. You are a town hall columnist. Yeah, and You're not, not supposed to leave the plantation. No, it's really. And so what their whole point is, you know, it's. It's I guess that's in get Candide, the, you know, Voltaire's knowledge that, uh, you know, Admiral Bing, that when he was supposed to, I think it was Menorca that he was supposed to relieve and he came late, kind of like the ostracism of Thucydides and the British. It wasn't really that serious. Uh, uh, you know, crime, but they thought, you know what? We got too, there's too much laxity. So we're going to shoot Bing and execute him. And that was kind of a minor thing to send the message that nobody ever, ever would, would cross the admiralty. But it was made famous in uh, Voltaire's Candide. I think he said they have a peculiar custom of every once in a while. I think he said hanging or killing a, a British officer to it to encourage the others. And that's what they're doing with these whistleblowers they're singling them out they're trying to humiliate them they're the fbi is working in concert with the liberal members of the uh congress to humiliate them and they're sending the message do not ever cross us or disseminate information about our wrongdoing because this is how you're going to end up you're going to be poor and broke by us and you're going to be humiliated by our friends in the congress and i you know, right. I did uh, a show that will be on, I guess it'll be on this Sunday. I'm speaking on the 20th, and it's going to be on Mark Levin on the 21st. So it'll probably already have been aired when this is released. But that was one of the things we talked about, the FBI, what to do with it. Yeah. And I, I offered some suggestions, none of them necessarily original. One of them was to move the headquarters out to Kansas City or Casper, Wyoming, or somewhere away from that New York, Washington cesspool. And that would end things, I think, 
such things as Andrew McKay being in charge of the Hillary Clinton investigation while his wife is running for a state legislature post in Virginia, getting money from Terry McAuliffe's Clinton affiliated PAC, while James Comey says there's no conflict of interest here. And you have all of these marriages and networks between these or Mike Morale calling up, you know, Blinken. Hey, Tony, Mike here. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know what? I'd like to be CIA director. I was only interim. I want to be CIA director. But what do you what do you, why'd you call me? And Blinken says, well, I need to do a favor. You know, we're looking at you for CIA director, but you got to round up a lot of people because we got Joe coming up for a debate. And my God, you know, uh, this laptop is dynamite. It's it's toxic. We've got the Bidens on there referring to to Joe is 10%. Mr. Big guy right on the edge of election. We've got crazy Trump in that debate. He'll eat Joe alive, but not if Joe can say there's 50 into former intelligence authorities that swear this is likely. Okay. No problem. I'll, I'll get them going. That's what, that's what that swamp does and you have to break it up. So if you took it away from there, especially in the age of zoom, that would be one thing. If that wasn't drastic enough, you could take the anti-terrorism group. You could take the, the liaisons with state and local authorities, you could take uh, infractions about drugs, whatever it is, and you could say Homeland Security, you take this FBI division. Department of Justice, take this. Department of Treasury, take this. Department of Interior, take this. And just break it up so that you don't have the concentration of power because they're making a, 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 they're making J. Edgar Hoover like, like, look like a saint. Right. And it's right. I mean, they just tap people's uh, financial records in Washington on that's that coincided with January 6th to see what people were buying, you know, as if you were on a tourist all of a sudden and you decide to get a flashlight and something. Oh, wait, that guy bought us flashlight. Let's check him out. Right. Uh, or they were just looking at video of random people and then rounding them up and showing up at their house to scare them if they appeared anywhere near the Capitol. There was no. It wasn't anything if you were a sightseer and you saw people protesting and you walked over to the mall, that was no more or no less a crime. If you saw BLM taking over a whole chunk of downtown Washington. But why did right. they 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 criminalize that? And so I, I think you have to break it up and you or you have to move it or you have to do both or you have to abolish it. And they don't have a good record, whether it's the Sarnoff brothers or the San Bernardino terrorists, of having people come to them and saying, you better, whether it's the Russian government or whether it's informants saying, this person is very dangerous. Watch yeah. out. And they let that go. They ignore it. And so they've lost the DOJ has lost our support. The FBI right. has lost our support. The CIA Mr. Brennan, the pathological liar who lied under oath to the U.S. Congress. And I hate to say it because I had never thought I'd say that. I have no confidence in the current leadership of the Pentagon. I really don't. Yeah. I think they're completely ideological. And I think that when you get up to two or three star, your promotion depends not on your military efficacy, but to the degree that which you can mouth certain platitudes that fit a woke agenda that will be green fast track. To Congress, and the, and again, we're going to get back to the sym symmetry, Jack. The only way you're going to stop it 
is get a new Congress, new Senate, new House, a new president, and have a president with the guts to say, you know what? This person is going to be defense secretary. This person is going to be chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And they have one directive. There's going to be no politics. If you're a right-wing nut or a left-wing nut, it's not going to matter. There's going to be no agendas. They're going to be strictly battlefield performance. And, right. we're going to, and we're going to get rid of all of the diversity, equity, all of the commissars. Are all, we don't have enough money. We're short javelins. We're short artillery shells. We're short patriots. We're not, we don't have that kind of money. We can't ask the taxpayer for $100, $800 billion when, if we're going to do this. And that's the only thing you can do. And I don't know if that's possible. but Yeah. Also, Victor, and we, we need to move on, but you've met, we've talked about this before, uh, the um, post, you know, the retirement uh, pot of gold of corporate boards. And I get in trouble when, with that. When, you know, I just saw some well, but, gen- gen- generals not too long ago. And I mad at you. Uh, well, I won't mention any names. When I walk in certain places where I work or where I have to visit and I see a retired right. general, they look at me like I'm satanic. And all I said was that if you're a Pentagon general, three or four star, and you retire, it would be wise to wait five years, maybe six or seven, before you go to work for Raytheon, the Boston Consulting Group, Northrop, Lockheed, whatever it is, General Dynamics. Just, Just take a breathing so that you don't call your immediate subordinates up six weeks later and say, hey, I want you to look look at this weapon system. You didn't give me a good hearing. We, and the guy thinks, "Oh my God, that was my mentor." Right. I know him. He's telling, and you got to stop that because it's not well, necessarily I, in the nation's interest. Right. Well, I think as long as these companies, though the corporations and their boards are dominated by this the ESG or you know whatever DEI, whatever the, there's too many acronyms that all stand for socialism. Um, these Two and three stars who are looking down down the road are are um, mouthing platitudes, woke platitudes, with that objective because they have to be approved by these corporations. Yes, absolutely, way. absolutely. So I agree with you that the, the delay, this five six year delay, should uh, be a bracer to 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 that. Another thing, and I I want to be very careful because I have a lot of admiration. Some of these people are my friends and associates, but. I plead mea culpa because I had supported in print a lot of promotions, but I do not think that anyone who comes out of a defense contractor board or lobbyist should be appointed to a high position in the Pentagon. It shouldn't happen. Just shouldn't happen. There's a reason why that shouldn't happen. I think we all know about it because they're bringing in a vested interest. I don't think we have a role. We've been giving exemptions. Uh, we gave one for Secretary Mattis. I think we gave one for Secretary Austin that uh, military officers do not have to have a cooling off period before they become Secretary of Defense. I don't want to I'm neutral on the per- personalities involved, but I don't think that's a wise idea anymore to give anybody any. I don't care if they're Ulysses S. Grant reincarnated. Nobody gets an exemption. We've got to really get back to. Uh, a professional disinterested Pentagon that doesn't 
and in, and then the same at the in the same way, if there is such a thing called the Uniform Code of Military Justice, if there is such a thing, and you have officers at the lower rank of captain, major, lieutenant, colonel who disparage somebody publicly, and they are punished, or they're they are punished for other violations and you have retired admiral and generals who are calling the president of the united states mussolini or a pathological liar or as in the case of admiral mcraven that you write an op-ed that he that he should be removed the sooner or better even though you have scheduled relate elections to adjudicate that so you don't need to say the sooner the better or that this person this president has Nazi, basically Nazi-like tendencies. If you're going to do that and you're ready to be recalled in times of emergencies and the statute says you're not to disparage the commander in chief, then that has to be enforced. If it's not, what is it? Then get rid of the whole, get rid of the whole code. Right. Right. And why did that code come in, come in value? It came in in 1951, 52. And why did it come? Because Douglas MacArthur, who had some reason to say that Harry Truman was naive about the threat of communism in Korea. And once he went to the Yalu River and it collapsed, and then they went back, he blamed, and it was his fault because it was poor, poor leadership. But he did, in a very unprofessional way, keep leaking and attacking Truman. And finally, the people said, you know what? This doesn't work. You cannot have military officers attacking. And MacArthur retired. And then they passed the statute and they said, you cannot have people in retirement on the public pension like MacArthur, even though he's running, probably running for president, keep haranguing the current commander in chief. And they've applied that. They've been warning people like Curtis LeMay or General Walker not to do that. And all of a sudden it was like, well, Trump is a special case. He's so diabolical that all great officers have to break the, their code and go after them. I, I just don't think that's right. So we, we this is a lot. This is the larger topic of what to do with the FBI, the CIA, the DOJ, right. uh, the Pentagon, because they're woke and they're destroying the institutions as we knew them and and as we loved them and supported them. Yeah, and it's particularly with the FBI, it, it, the uh, equal application of the law, which is you know allegedly the bedrock of our country, has been shot to crap. Uh, Victor, we have time for one more topic, and it will be about the dementia ocrats. And we'll get to that right after this final important message. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise, plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. 
Victor, I have two uh, headlines I had pulled, and one I wrote a little note to myself. If Biden were a cross-dresser, would he be Dianne Feinstein? And then the other one is um, about John Fetterman. Here's a headline from the Daily Mail. Nothing to see here. Pennsylvania Dem Senator John Fetterman's office is slammed for doctoring transcripts to disguise stroke victims worrying congressional stumbles. I'm sure, Victor, you saw and many of our listeners saw this uh, um, Fetterman um, interviewing or interrogating or whatever, mumbling at uh, some folks at a um, Senate hearing related to the Silicon Valley uh, Bank. And he asked a question. I think he asked a question. It was the the, the panelists kind of sat there. They didn't answer because they weren't sure that he actually was asking a question. But then, of course, this. Fetterman staff afterwards totally takes this incoherent statement and and puts out an official transcript, uh, which makes uh, written clear English. He also appears at some uh, um, press briefing I with saw other that. senators dressed in his you know his usual shorts and whatever. Slob, yeah, like a, sl- his sl- bank, Bankman Freed slob cheek. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So we have Biden of. Wrong way, Biden again in in Japan and almost stumbling downstairs. We have Feinstein coming back, Feinstein coming back, uh, looking really, really um, bedraggled and like she's been through the mill. And Fetterman, this is this is these are the poster children for the Democrat Party. Victor, your thoughts? Yeah. Well, th- these are all good case histories and reminders to everybody listening that you got to remember something that this isn't the old Democratic Party. This is not a group of people who believe that government can have the answer versus a group of people on the conservative Republican side that believe that individuals have the answer, that liberty is more important than forced equality. That divide doesn't exist as we knew it. This is a hardcore neo-socialist Jacobin party, and they have no principles other than the acquisition and the maintenance of power and to force down your throat a mandatory equality of result on any means necessary. So when you take the issue of age and as any any other issue, Jack, there is no, in their mind, liberal consistent policy conservative. And there's no such thing as ageism or genuine concern about a person's debility. No, that doesn't exist. It's only... To what degree does this issue further the acquisition of power for us, our agenda? So when you take Donald Trump and for one nanosecond, for the only time in his presidency, there's a little slick, he makes he grabs it real, then they will tell you that he is non compos mentos because they want him out. They don't believe he is. Or when he says to little rocket man that I have a bigger butt in New York. They they just clamor that he's insane. They will get Bandy Yee, a Yale psych, psychiatrist, to testify that he's nuts and to edit a book and to say that there has to be a straitjacket intervention. And they'll get Ronnie Jackson, the White House doctor, to give him the Montreal cognitive assessment, which I, I looked at online and kind of took. Not that easy to take a bunch of words and then recite them and then turn the page and recite them backwards uh, and same way with numbers and things like that. So my point is that they have no consistent 
policy. When it's Donald Trump, then they are very careful that the president must be completely alert, completely. And yet, when Dianne Feinstein is a critical vote, because it's 50-50 Senate, and that matters, and she's missing an action, then all of a sudden, well, they say to the Republicans, you have to make a, you have to let us get a temporary substitute. And they say, well, you never did that for us. Okay. Hmm. What are we going to do? We got to get rid of her somehow, but she's loyal. She's been there for six terms. She's an icon of California. And they said, yeah, yeah, we, we were supporting her. We asked, we wanted her to run so we'd have a safe seat, but she's no longer any use to us. So let's start leaking that she's nutty and crazy. And she's very easy to do that because of her status after having uh, shingles and some mental uh, neuro issues from inflammation involved with the illness. And then they're fighting right now, Jack, over that particular seat because Adam Schiff has ingratiated himself to the Pelosi's and they want him to have a you know, clear field and open primary, but they do not want Barbara Lee, the black activist from L.A. I remember these are people who tell us that marginalized people and women must be believed and that you have to go back with repertory considerations. But when it comes to a black woman who's very radical that wants Adam Schiff's ambitious uh, seat, then you've got to make sure that Dianne Feinstein somehow finishes her term and is present there because if she quits, Gavin Newsom will appoint Barbara Lee and that'll give supposedly an advantage in the primary, or I should say the general to Adam Schiff. And that's how they look at debility. So and then you look at Joe Biden, they don't apply. I mean, if this was Donald Trump right now, they would be screaming about removing him from office. They tried to remove him from office, but with that caper where if you remember, they wanted Andrew McCabe, remember that, uh, to wear a wire and trap him right. in some type of mental confusion so they could evoke the 25th Amendment. Rosa Brooks and foreign policy 11 days into the administration said there were three ways to get rid of Trump, a coup, impeachment or the 25th Amendment. That was all that they talked about, but not now with Joe Biden. Because they know he is completely failing at a geometric rate. And each week he is let, he was in Japan this week. He tripped. He was totally confused. We had the Japanese prime minister and his wife having to, that was so nationally humiliating, had to show Biden where to go, where to stand. Just like Mr. Obador who had to escort him down the stairs. This, this is just constant. And then we had, Mr. Fetterman, that they're now they ha they're reduced to censoring the transcripts and doctoring them. So if you didn't happen to listen to him, you might think that he was coherent. Anybody who listened to him, and I listened to that transcript of what he said, it made, when he was talking about bankers, it made no sense at all. Uh, zero, zero, zero sense. It was just he's he's not he would not if any employer is out there. I'm going to ask an employer, <laughs> if you are an accountant, if you are a head of a law firm, yeah. if you right. are a landscaper and you need somebody to adjudicate when to mow the lawn, if you're a farmer, would you allow either Fetterman or Joe Biden to be in any position of authority? No. You wouldn't. I don't. I don't think they could even bag groceries at no. Uh, at you wouldn't. The you wouldn't. Right. Oh no. They would put the they would put the eggs at the bottom of the bag. No, no. They they can't. <laughs> they can't. They do that. And there's a history of this. Remember when Ruth Bader Ginsburg was 
uh, in her mid 80s. She's a cancer survivor. I think she had pancreatic cancer, breast cancer. She was not able to do that. And they were telling us that she was a, a virtual weightlifter. Remember that? That she was working out and she was, but she was saying all kinds of crazy things. She was attacking Donald right. Trump from the bench. I mean, she was a Supreme Court justice. She said in an interview, I think with the New Yorker magazine, that why was everybody upset about abortion? We were, weren't we aborting the right people? And she said, you know, right. I always look for foreign examples. I look at the South African, South African constitution for advice about, you know, ruling opinions. So she was way out there, and yet they made movies about her. They canonized her because as long as she was breathing, she was that that Democratic seat. And then she stayed a little bit too long out of her ambition, and all of a sudden she was St. Ginsburg, and then they thought, hmm, she's starting to look a little shaky, and even we don't believe this narrative that she's Arnold Schwarzenegger in the gym, (laughs) and now we've got Donald Trump president, and she could— she could kick. So then they started to get it, wanted to get rid of her and they they did it too late and they lost that appointment. And then they tried to weasel around saying Trump shouldn't be able to do this and had to respect this Democratic seat. But what's the common denominator that ties all of these narratives together? A, there is no common denominator, whatever the particular circumstances are, they right. will they will. They will take a position based on power and their own. They don't care if it contradicts them in the past. And then B, they do not care about the welfare of the United States. They don't care whether a senator from Pennsylvania is not representing half the population. They don't care whether Joe Biden can get us in a lot of trouble overseas. They don't care whether Ruth Bader Ginsburg wants to abort Hispanics and poor people. They don't care. They don't care whether Dianne Feinstein is dysfunctional. In fact, they feel almost that if it's not involving a vote, that they're useful. Because in the case of Biden, to take one example, you you can tell him anything. If you're the Obamas or Bernie Sanders or the squad or or Elizabeth Warren, you can say you're going to get rid of the border, Joe. Yeah. And he'll put it on his note card. Yeah. Or or you're going to get you're going to be for open, you know, you know, you're going to be for all these Soros prosecutors. And he might say, well, I said that busing was a racial jungle. And I I gave the, the eulogy for Strong Thurman and. Robert Byrd. And I said, James O'Leaston never called me boy. And I can't do that. Well, yes, you are. Now you're no longer the racist. Now you're the reverse racist. So go to Howard and give this speech about white supremacy. He said, but I called a guy junkie. And I said, you ain't black. And I said, Barack Obama was the first clean black and our first one could be could speak, basically. And I told all these accomplished professionals that, that Mitt Romney would put you all back in chains. So I have a pretty good you know, racist record. And they said, no, no, now you're not a racist anymore, Joe. You're going to go and you're going to be you're going to be a racist. But the target of your racism now is more convenient. Then you were trying to be kind of a conservative, rural, good old Joe, good old boy from Pennsylvania. Now you're going to be Mr. Bicoastal elite left winger. So now your target are white people. But this but you're mentality is the same, that you will say or do anything for your own 
position or your own your own agenda. And so uh, they like empty suits. They like a Fetterman. They tell Fetterman, this is how you're going to vote. Tell us to tell him to vote this way. Don't 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 talk too much. Tell Biden to do this. Don't talk too much. Feinstein, she's in a wheelchair. Great. We'll just call her chief of staff and say this is what she's supposed to do. And the commissar order will come on from high and they'll do it. If the if the left have their way, you'd have 51 people in wheelchairs in the Senate with some DNC grandee giving the daily memos to what they're supposed to do exactly like they do to the mentally challenged media. You know how yeah. during the right all of a sudden we heard Don Lamone and the Cuomo brothers and the people on that idiotic view. What were they saying every week? Whistleblower. Whistleblower should be believed. Or they were saying bombshell, Mueller investigation bombshell. Oh, looks like the walls are closing in. It was the exact same vocabulary because it was all being ordered to them and they were automatons. And that's what exactly they like. They like a commissar. Kremlin apparat that tells him what to do. Victor, you you mentioned uh, empty suit of Fetterman. I think it's empty hoodie. Um, <laughs> that's about <laughs> that's about almost all the time we have here, Victor. Yeah. Except we'll we'll do we'll uh, get to some of that end of the show business. And you know the a recent podcast you did with the great Sammy Wink has elicited a lot of. Uh, comments on Apple uh, Podcasts uh, platform. By the way, thanks. Thank you, folks. No matter what platform you listen to this podcast on, subscribe to, download from Stitcher, Google Play, Apple, iTunes. We thank you. Um, at Apple, you can rate the show zero to five stars. Nearly everyone gives it five stars. Thank you. And for those who leave comments, and you can do that there. We read them. And I'm going to read two today about conquistadors and border disruption. I absolutely love all of Victor's podcasts, but this one was outstanding. From his spot on analysis of the open border to the conquest of the Aztecs, he just gave such great perspective. The facts about the Aztecs and the Spanish conquistadors were things I never knew. Even the short discussion on farming made me think about how judgmental we can be without knowing anything about a certain subject. I wish I had Professor Hansen when I was in college. Thank you for opening my eyes every time I listen to you. Uh, this is signed by Ready to Learn More. Thank you, Ready to Learn More. And one more, Victor titled also Conquistador on the Border. I am interested in history podcasts. When VDH talks about history, he tends to be above most. I am particularly impressed by his impartial and historical-based views versus the current left-wing interpretations and all the historical facts he mastered expertly. He is able to offer a bird's-eye view on that period and excellent explanations of the events. It enriches my knowledge of those periods. Please keep coming, Hayden15. Thank you, Hayden15. Victor, before I say thank you, finally, the final thank you, I would like our listeners to know that I, Jack Fowler, write a free weekly email newsletter called Civil thoughts, and it has over a dozen recommended readings, great articles that I've come across the previous week. Sign up for it at civilthoughts.com. I do that for the Center for Civil Society at AMPHIL, which used to be American Philanthropic. 
and uh, there's no charge, no fee. We're not selling the name, so it's. Uh, I hope you like it. Many of our listeners have subscribed, and I they they write me. They say they enjoy it. So thank you for do, those that do that. Thank you, Victor, for all uh, the wisdom that you shared today. And thanks, folks, for listening. And we will be back again soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody, and thanks for listening. 